The Pace line is supported by LEL Cycling. Crafted in California, the LEL brand combines the latest technology with cycling tradition to deliver an experience that is authentically California. View their retail gear and custom program at lelcycling.com. Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I am Celine Yeager, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. How are you, Patrick? I'm good. I'm good. I got an unusually long ride out in West County this past Sunday. Kind of hit almost all my favorite trails. Uh, Left one of them out. Uh, but you know, it was just one of those marvelous late summer days in mm-hmm. Western Sonoma County. And, uh, you know, you, you just dial in and you have a great time. And I don't think you can have too many rides like those. I would wholeheartedly agree. It's been, a, <laughs> yeah. I think September's underrated. I, I often say that it's, uh, it's been really, really, really nice here. It's, it's a bit, a little hot. We got up into the nineties again, but just the uh the same thing like it's the, the colors are just starting to sort of change you know but not autumnal yet and it's still warm and uh the, the riding is just really really lovely i think it's just really mm. a, a beautiful time of year to be out and yeah. sometimes you get uh caught in uh some st- storms i got i did not beat the rain today on my lunch ride and, and it <laughs> it wasn't just a shower it was uh a river falling from the sky but that but it was not a cold river, so it's fine. That's um, good because yeah. since I've been in, well, California for the most part, but certainly since I've been in Northern California, if the rain is falling, it's not hot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I caught I caught that theme. It wasn't it wasn't freezing. It wasn't warm, warm. It's definitely. I mean, we it, there's a cold front sort of like breaking the heat, and it was part of that. So I wouldn't have wanted to been. It wouldn't have been relaxing to be out too long in it, but it was fine to just dash home in. You know, I mean, I probably had two miles where it was pouring, and it was fine. You know, it was <laughs> kind of kind of fun. But if I had been an hour out, I would have been uh, less happy about the situation because I had nothing. <laughs> I had. I had put my phone in a bag and that was about it. I had no (laughs) shell or anything else. I looked at the sky. I was like, I think I'll make it. And I didn't. It's fine. (laughs) But you know, that is part of the beauty of being a cyclist. It's like, oh, I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes it, sometimes it works and it's exciting. And then when it doesn't, you're just like, yep, didn't win that gamble. Sometimes the house wins. It's fine. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What do you have for us this week? I thought I would take another listener topic since our listeners ask such great questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. This one comes up quite a bit and, and it, it, it's something I'm sure that everybody has an opinion on one way or another. It is about uh, post race or ride hydration, but not really. It's about drinking. <laughs> it's about. <laughs> 
not really about hydration. Um, he says, now I know that water or electrolyte is always preferred, but how bad is a beer or two? Uh, this is assuming you're not completely bonked, dangerously dehydrated, etc. My joke is that beer is like 95% water, so it's good. Alcohol being a diuretic that it is, a beer or two, um, is it worse than drinking nothing? If it's 7% alcohol, does that completely offset the water that is in it? Wondering <laughs> if any studies have been done on that. Uh, you know, like, let's let's be super clear that it's not water. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it is, it's not water. And unlike coffee, which has been shown to be not a diuretic, alcohol is, in fact, still a diuretic. So, I mean, <laughs> we can sort of chase that out. But, um, but there's a lot uh, to answer his Last question. It has been studied an awful lot. Uh, alcohol consumption after exercise, during exercise, all the whole like alcohol in general has been studied a lot. What's interesting, and I wrote about this for Women's Health a few years ago, and I fa- found it kind of fascinating. A study had come out that people who are active actually drink more than people who are sedentary. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, That's the original thought. But then if you think about it a little deeper and you'll appreciate it, it makes sense because the same happy brain chemicals that exercise goes woohoo are also the ones that alcohol is sort of like tapping into. Um, Uh So the same people that like one tend to kind of like the feeling of the other. It makes an awful lot of sense. And there are there are a number of theories in animal studies that go a little further and show like a potentiation or a cross tolerance to alcohol. So it takes more booze to feel the buzz once you're sort of in that state. Right. And that's like that makes sense, too. So you so the guys that are just rolling in from a great ride or a race um, are already here and it takes more alcohol to get them even more there. You know, so that it's they're also metabolizing things quicker. I mean, it's just everything is different. Uh, There's also sort of the work hard, play hard thing that athletes tend to have. Uh, You know, you stay on the rails and you train and train and train and then you go straight off the rails once the thing is done. You know, I mean, there's there's all I've never done that. No, none of us have ever done that. So, I mean, whatever the case, um a beer or two after a hard ride is probably not going to waylay your recovery, you know, or seriously have a dehydrating sort of effect on you. You should be drinking water along with it for sure. Please do one for one, if nothing else. Um, yeah, I'm not so good at that part. Yeah, it's harder, but we try to like two hand. If you're going to two handed fist, make one of them water. But that, that just one of them. Just put. OK, so water double fisting is OK. <laughs> Yes, one of them should be water. Um, yeah. Mm. Anyway, I did interview somebody for this kind of a story for bicycling a, a couple of years ago because it's a popular topic. It was uh, Evelyn Parr. Uh, she's a PhD out of the Center for Exercise and Nutrition at Australian Catholic University. So she probably knows something about maybe drinking and not drinking. <laughs> like, you know, I don't want to stereotype. No stereotypes. Sorry. Anyway, she... She gave me a pretty good rundown of like what happens like when you chase down a hard workout with some alcohol. And I think like it's worth just sort of the more, you know, right, like then you can make informed decisions. Um, So the dehydration thing. So our friend here is 
partly right about the hydration and beer being a lot of water. Um, not totally right. And it's important to pick the right beer. So, you know, dehydration is a lowering of your blood plasma volume, the, the liquidy part of your body. And that mm-hmm. taxes your cardiovascular system. Your blood is thicker. Your heart has to work harder, you know, to help your organs function. So this is why hydration afterwards is really pretty important for full recovery. Alcohol does not help you rehydrate. Um, there's if you choose a double IPA, it's worse than grabbing a bud session. Yeah. Yeah. Then grabbing a session beer or a Pabst Blue Ribbon or a Miller High Life or, you know, whatever your your beer choice, because the higher percentage of alcohol like an IPA may actually impair rehydration because of it's got a greater diuretic effect. Sure, sure. That part is not difficult for me to comprehend. You know, higher yeah. percentage of alcohol, uh, you know, more, uh, a stronger effect. Yes. Uh, but, but what you're saying is fundamentally, if you drink a beer after a ride, you are not doing anything to help your rehydration. Studies show probably not. However, okay. You're, okay. do, you're not, you won't, let me say this, you won't further dehydrate yourself if you choose a beer that is less, have a diuretic effect, according to like what they looked at. I mean, a, a Coors Light might help you rehydrate a little bit. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, she didn't, she didn't parse that out that clearly, but like a high and by high like let's say anything over four to five is not is doing you no favors you're going to further dehydrate yourself so if you're going to lie to yourself go to utah yes a hundred percent that's a perfect perfect thing to do or choose from one of the many and there are actually many um decent options now like uh who makes the sea quench is it dogfish head like there's some people who are making like these sort of salty almost beers that are like really good for after exercise. There's low alcohol. They're like 4%, 4.5. And they even have some electrolytes in them. So if you really want to lie to yourself, you can grab one of those and say that you're doing something good for yourself. Um, yeah, there's a few of them out. And I hear, I haven't tried any of them, but I hear that the near beers have gotten quite good too, that there's some pretty good, low, like almost non-alcoholic, you know, trace mm-hmm. alcohol uh, that are that are quite good. And there have been studies that those are useful for recovery. But that's like because of the electrolytes and because of some of the antioxidants that they have in them. But anyway, that's not what this guy wants. And that's not what most people want. Right. So. <laughs> Correct. Um, yes. Anyway, uh, let's go to the liver, because that's another thing that is obviously involved here. Uh, your liver is responsible for mopping up waste, right? That's what it does. And mm-hmm. when you do a really hard race, you have created a lot of metabolic stuff, waste. Your liver's got things to do, like undo <laughs> the damage that you've done. So if the first thing you do is dump a bunch of ethanol in there, it, it's going it, to, what is it going to do? It's like what? It's, it can't really cope with everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it might prioritize the alcohol even. So it just leaves your recovery blunted. You know, there has been some some evidence that and you unless you're racing the next day, you might not notice that. Let's be real. But it Mm -hmm. it will slow your recovery process. If you care about that, if it's something it 
um, you know, instead of breaking down like all the metabolic waste and turning it into glucose and restocking your glycogen stores, it's going to prioritize the alcohol and it's just going to, you know, this huh. yeah. So good to know. The more, you know, again, grab yep. your water. Um, your muscles will have a harder time repairing properly, kind of for the same reason. Um, too much alcohol interferes with the with the um, the repair process afterwards. Again, just because of the dehydration and everything else that you've done, it just makes it less. It, 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 your body is less efficient at making new proteins and you know protein synthesis, which is a fancy way of saying repairing your muscle damage after a hard workout. Um, that also leaves you if you have something to do the next day, like if you're doing a stage race and you like if you're doing that kind of a thing back to backs, go <laughs> easy because the next day is is it's going to feel harder. I mean, it's just you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, well, I can't again, imagine having a beer during a stage race, you know, but at the at the one. But 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 this is the problem. So like one or a glass of one, like whatever it is, can sort of like wind help wind you down and not do damage. But last point that Evelyn made, which we all know, good judgment goes out the window. So one sometimes becomes two. And once you have two, there's a danger of three, right? Like that's like, that's how alcohol yep. works. <laughs> so yep. um, especially if you're in a very uh, festive atmosphere, let me say, you know, like it's not just like you're sitting down and going like, okay, the day is done. I did this hard thing. I'm having this one sequence beer and I'm going to bed like fine. But otherwise, mm, uh, alcohol does not improve decision making. So if the first thing that you reach for after crossing is a mug of beer, you might not make a lot of decision, bad decisions after that. <laughs> you know, the second thing might be a refill instead of that water or the recovery meal that you should be having. Uh, so. Sometimes it's not about the re- the alcohol per se that's impairing the recovery. It's everybody like, who comes in the door with him. Yeah, and it's also the inappropriate nutrition and the not enough carb, like you like all the other poor decisions you might be making that follows. So, are, are you talking about potato chips? Well, those are carbs. That's that's might be okay. They're carbs <laughs> and electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe the first thing you do is do the good stuff for yourself and then grab your beer. I mean, that, that might be a good compromise for that. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> just saying, like you want me to have a good, healthy meal after a race and not grab a beer. First thing. I'm just saying sw- flop the order. That's all. Like, I'm just, it's just a, it's just a, if, if one cares, if one does not care. And let's be clear. There's many times I don't care either. Like then just do whatever you want. <laughs> this is cracking me up. Oh my God. Are we helping anybody? I don't know. <laughs> they're, well, hopefully they're all laughing going. Yeah, right. Don't make it a Mickey's Big Mouth. That's all I have to say, because we've had that discussion and you'll burn down your house. So anything else you do is is just fine. But if you're going to have one, put a glass of water in the other hand. There you go. That's my that's it. We've we've solved that. (laughs) You have any thoughts? (laughs) Well, I mean, I honestly 
You know, there are times when, yeah, I'm having, you know, I get to Trail House here in Santa Rosa, 200 meters from where I live. And, you know, I'm finishing up a mountain bike ride with friends or a gravel ride, whatever. And we pull in there and they have a dozen beers to choose from. Mm. And it ranges from stuff on the lighter, clearer side, right up to Pliny the Elder, uh, which is 8%. Ooh, that might not know? be the best choice. <laughs> yeah, and I've, I've at least opens, put that together... That kicks down the door for bad decisions to follow. Yes. But yeah. Yeah, yes. I am. If I have a Pliny, I am just that much more likely to have something else. Maybe not a second Pliny, but certainly right. a second beer. Right. Whereas oh, I if it. I can... If I can steer myself into one of the lighter single IPAs, yes. uh, there's a there's a chance that I'll stop there, uh, right. at least in terms of beer. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, a a hey. chance. A chance. I'm actually <laughs> really good at stopping with the second glass of wine, second beer. You know, after two, I'm really pretty good about, you know, just, OK, that's enough. Right. Um, it's, you know, yeah, a third glass of wine, ooh, party time. Look at Patrick. <laughs> well, particularly if you are you haven't even gotten home to shower yet. I mean, that seems to be oh. like, yeah. Yeah, no, if I'm if I'm not yet yeah. home, uh, yeah, we're not going anywhere near that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's hmm, how to how to put it. Uh. If I'm having a beer, I am not yet at a point, just being honest, I am not yet at a point where I'm thinking about proper diet and good decision making. I will grant that I am just, I'm, I'm relaxing some. Yes. Hand me the the potato chips. Oh yeah. 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 No, I, 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 and I, I think that's fine. (laughs) I'm not gonna, you know, like. Especially when you do something, you know, I've got Keystone Gravel coming up on uh, Saturday, and that is like an insane beatdown. It's 80 miles of just like really hard things. Uh-huh. Yes. And you stay and you camp. And, I, you know, like, a, the, the, yes, it, that leads to a lot of relaxation, let's just say, you know, so it's just, I, I, I don't know, you know, every, you, you, everybody just. You take care of yourself, but you also let yourself, it's a balance. It's always about like everything in life. It's always a balance. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, you know, truer statements and whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. So that's what, to, that's, uh, that's my take. I'll cool. pull over now. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, we're going to break for a sponsor and then we're going to talk about gravel bikes versus cross bikes. Mm. At Shimano. We love riding, and we know you do too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life, we encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. 
Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or a metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. Okay, we are back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels, and Patrick is going to talk to us about various kinds of two wheels. And I know that this was also a listener question. Yeah, talk to us. yeah. So, yeah, uh, our listener, Andrew, asked, I would love to hear your opinion on the pros and cons of using a gravel bike for cross. I mm. think it would be helpful to a lot of listeners. Uh, I hope he's right about that last bit. But can I, I get this just question say, a lot? I got a question. Yeah. I get that a question a lot. I love this question. I really do. Because for me, there's a, it's got a philosophical underpinning to it that is rooted oh. in, in engineering. Uh, and I, I love, I love this sort of thing. So the thing is that cyclocross bike design was an issue to me back in the 1990s. And gravel bikes are a great example of what's wrong with most cross bikes, at least in my opinion. Okay. I got to take a second and lay out for listeners who don't know the nuances of these geometries. So compared to the average road bike, and believe me, there are plenty of exceptions, but compared to the average road bike, a cyclocross bike will in general have a shorter wheelbase and a higher bottom bracket. The average gravel bike, when compared to a road bike, will have a lower bottom bracket and a longer wheelbase and more trail. Again. Mm -hmm. Plenty of exceptions, mm -hmm. particularly among the production bikes. But when you're looking at what custom builders are doing, this tends to stack up in that direction. Uh, so the first biggest issue is that cross bikes have a high bottom bracket because of toe clips. Remember those things that we used to use in the 1980s and before? Oh, God. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> no, that's, that's enough. I think that gets the general gist. So when you dismount, the clips would flip upside down and drag in the grass. So the bottom bracket was made higher for that. And also to be able to pedal through mud bogs. Okay. The thing is that American courses are very rarely ever allowed to turn into mud bogs. I mean, it does happen, but most facilities won't allow a race to turn their grounds into a mud pit. They won't allow people to have a, uh, a second race someplace if they just completely rip up all the all lawn and everything. They were lawn mowers when the bottom bracket was lower. The the clips and straps would just tear up the grass and they gotcha. it would slow you down, slow slow down getting back on the bike. It would impede flipping the pedals over. Mm -hmm. And so that was really kind of a uh, a silly thing. Again, why they raised the bottom bracket. Right. So back in 1998, Toby Stanton at Hot Tubes in Worcester, Mass walked me through building my own cross bike. And because I was getting to build this with him custom, I got to stipulate what I wanted for the geometry. Instead of a traditional bottom bracket drop of 5.5 to 6 centimeters, I went with 7.5 centimeters, which is lower than the, not only the average road bike, but more like the Italian stage racing bikes. You know, think Colnago, DeRosa, Mondonico. What I found once we got that bike built up and I raced it on a cross course, it cornered like a dream. 
I I couldn't pedal through as many corners because mm-hmm. of the lower bottom bracket, but I could carry more speed into the corners. The other thing about most cross bikes is that I think the position should be more upright. Why? Most people generate more power if they're sitting more upright, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And given the speeds that most of us ride at a cross race, sitting more upright isn't going to hurt our aerodynamics. Right. Now, because of the length of so many gravel events, guess what? Most gravel bikes have mm-hmm, a more upright mm-hmm. position because <laughs> you can't stay bent over all day like that. But it doesn't end there. I'll grant that it may not be as easy to pedal through some turns on a cross course with a gravel bike, but they handle well and usually inspire more confidence in said corners. On the other hand, say you take a quick descent on a gravel course, but <laughs> riding on a cross bike, mm-hmm. and say you hit 40 miles an hour. <laughs> You're going to be afraid that death is imminent. I swear a high bottom bracket, short wheelbase bike on a fast descent is the utter antidote to fun. So bottom line, if I'm faced with choosing a gravel bike or a cross bike, and I wanted to do both gravel events and cyclocross events, I'd buy the the gravel bike straight up. I, I wouldn't even think twice. Honestly, I think more cross bikes ought to be built like more gravel bikes, just to make them more versatile and more fun. You know, we, again, we're not racing courses like the European ones where you get these incredible mud bogs where anything to keep your feet out of the mud is helpful. And the the courses, you don't ever get going that fast. They're really twisty. A traditional cross bike is pretty helpful there, but not many of us can afford to own just a cross bike for cross racing. We need it to be able to do other things. And our courses aren't mud bogs. We're not going super fast there. But if we do a gravel event, you know, unless, okay, some of the stuff like where I grew up, Memphis, you're not going to have the fast descents. But here, Sonoma County, uh, Mendocino County, you're going to have a descent where you're going to hit 40, 45 miles an hour at some point. And it's really important at times like that to have a bike that truly handles well. Now, you've had some experience with this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I've had lots of it. <laughs> <laughs> I ha- well, I have. I have, especially um, because I have raced, I told you, like Fifth Street Cross is the cross race that's a mile from my house that I've spoken about a few times. I have taken pretty much every bike I own down there. I've done it on a fat bike. I've done it on a road bike. I've done it on cross bikes. I've done it on gravel, you know, like. So yeah. I, I have a like a really good sense. Now that course, that course is interesting um, because it's a sheer power course. As I've mentioned before, there's not a whole lot of climbing to be had. It's a lot of chicanes. It's a lot of, you know, flat drag, drag strip kind of stuff. Um, a lot of twisty, turny, bumpy. It goes through some cornfield sort of stuff. So it's stuttery. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it gives a lot of uh, it does get. Uh, boggy in one area. They try to f- they try to fix it. We don't care about ripping it up because it's a recycling center. I mean, it's basically just a bunch of handy <laughs> trashies. Yeah, so um, so they they're not as worried about what we do to the property as some facilities, let's say, might be. Um, you know, and, and I've raced at the Mid Atlantic. You in, you encounter everything. You encounter you encounter very dry, super fast, just grassy stuff. You encounter. Mm-hmm. 
uh, sand pits, you know, just ludicrous, almost dune level kind of sand where you have to decide, am I going to ride this? I'm going to run it, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I, I do agree with everything you said ge- geometry wise, uh, you know, and also having raced a lot of Iron Cross, which is like an ultra cross predis- pre predecessor to gravel, really, mm-hmm. um, as well as gravel events on my crux for so many years. Like I raced those on cross bikes for a lot of years because there was nothing else to race them on. I mean, I, right. that was the only choice because I had a disc cross bike, you know, like so that enabled me to take that disc b- bike and do gravel on it super easily. I wasn't dealing with cantilever. You know, I wasn't de- dealing with those kind of brakes at all. Yeah. Yeah, you wanted um, to stop. <laughs> I wanted to stop. Yeah, stopping is a wonderful thing. So, um, yeah, you might on a gravel bike, if you're trying to pedal through corners, there is a chance you might clip your pedals a bit more if you're doing that. Your 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 point on speed is good though. I mean, that's true. You can you can with a gravel bike, especially today's gravel bikes, tend to be pretty quick. You know, so you are moving at a, a at a good clip. Um, there are. It's a it's a weird world. I agree for sure. If you just want to play around at cross, go with the gravel bike because the gravel bike is going to be a thousand percent more fun on a gravel course. Uh, it, it is. You know, there are many courses here where I hit in the 40s, too, and it's terrifying uh, on a mm-hmm. high bottom bracket bike. It is not at all terrifying on gravel bikes. It's fun. <laughs> it's relaxing, yeah. actually. So I, I if for no like that, that is a definite decision maker right there. If you are serious, serious, serious about cross, I think the decision becomes a little trickier for the X factors that we didn't talk about yet. Um, changing out wheels, like because there are mm-hmm. courses here that get. You you almost need to change your bike or change something every lap because your bike ceases to roll. Um, sure, sure. You know, so having if, if people get serious, obviously they have a whole pit bike. But a lot of people have wheels that if they do flat or if something happens. For me on my open, that would be my my days on. I'm not going to take out my multi tool and get out my five and remove my wheel because I need a tool to take my through axles out. <laughs> To take, you know, like that's not cross friendly. I'm gonna lose, yeah. you know, lots of time and just watch the race go away. If I'm if I'm concerned about, and to be clear, I've always just like if something went that bad in a cross race, I just would pull out anyway because I've never been all that serious about it. I never had a pit bike, but there are people who are, and if you are, then that's a serious consideration. As mm-hmm. are like what's going on in the triangle. Like, is it easy to shoulder your bike? Is it easy like? If you're doing a lot of real cross carrying and that kind of stuff, like legit specific cross bikes will have like the little flattened part underneath the top tube so it doesn't bruise your shoulder when you're carrying it and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of little details that go into very specific cross bikes. But then you realize you have a, you know, when you're talking wolf dog, you have a dog. You have a, a, a that animal is made for cross, and it's made for that one thing very specifically, and it's not going to cross over super super well. And you could say the same thing. I raced last week on that. Uh, I can't talk about it yet, but I raced. <laughs> I just realized I, I raced on a bike. I can't. I will talk about soon. That is uh, that's really made for like tour divide kind of riding. It wasn't a cross bike. I mean, it's a little heavier. It's not really made to shoulder. 
it was great over the stuttery stump, but, but that's on the other end of the spectrum. And I think Mm -hmm. right now for someone who just wants to play in all of it, a gravel bike in that middle is the way to go, but it's just like a couple of the little considerations that if you're, cause people like if cross is your religion, go with a cross bike. I think that's sure where I fall with that. Sure. I mean, if you don't need the versatility, you know, yeah. Buy the correct tool. Yeah. And I mean, I could certainly advocate if you're getting serious about cross, sure. Have a cross bike, but you know, take your gravel bike for your pit bike. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because why not? Yeah. And yeah. you know, I, uh, for most folks that I know, they're not that serious about cross. It's right. something they're going to do as it turns up and they're going to have some fun. But I mean, I certainly still see people out there on hardtails, you know, on cross courses. Yeah. 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 Flat bar. We, hardtail. we see a little up. I mean, it's I'm still in the land of religion, cyclocross, right? Like sure. You you are sure. less so. So I see very serious. I my I think I think it's I think it's telling where we're both talking from. Cause I am still very emerged in, in the, in where crosses religion and you, you need, like they would not be riding gravel bikes. They're going to be riding cross bikes, you know, but, but, but that again, it's a fishbowl. And once you're outside of that fishbowl in the larger ocean, the gravel bike is definitely the, the, the tool that's going to yeah. give you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, have some fun, you know, get a gravel bike. I mean, if you don't already have something and you're looking for one bike that'll allow you to do as many different things as possible, buy the gravel bike. The gravel bike know. is it. I mean, because yeah. a good like. Again, I mean, I'm just with many of the ones that I have tested recently, including that open that I that I just love. Um, it's my road bike. It's everything. Like, I mean, you can you mm-hmm. can conceivably find one of these bikes that will n minus one your life that will become that bike that that just is the tool that you choose for most of what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that alpha all road from allied uh, that I have, you know, that, that bike was so impressive. I had to call them up and go, okay, I want this frame set to stay here. And that's a bike that could easily be my road bike as well with just a different set of wheels. And so, okay, maybe you have three sets of wheels with your forties, your 28s, and then your 32s. That's the that's the ticket. Like if you want to if I think that if if you're well thought out in what you're doing, that is really the way to go, Um, because you can get so much mileage literally out of one bike by investing in the in the different wheels. And then your life is just easier, too. You're just swapping wheels instead of. All the, I mean, because you can do that, right? But then you're swapping tires and you're swapping this and you're swapping cassettes and you're swap, like, it's just, it's way easier to not do all that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I know a whole host of guys here in town who wanted to buy a, a disc brake road bike, but couldn't really justify it because their existing road bike was still relatively new. Yep. So they bought a gravel bike, which they didn't have, and then bought a second set of wheels and then turned around and sold the road bike. Totally. <laughs> Totally. I can a hundred percent see that happening. A hundred percent. I I've, I've thought about doing the same myself. Yeah. 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 I, I should probably think about that given how many different things are hanging in my garage. Yeah. I'm, and as it, yet it's resistant. And the, and the one that you pull down the, you know, I mean, it becomes like, what am I actually riding the most? You know, what makes the, yeah. 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 
Well, and then there's the fact that, you know, going out for a road ride on a bike with 38 millimeter tires pumped up to 40 PSI, that's just a really nice day. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I 100% <laughs> agree with that. And if you feel like taking it somewhere else, then you're right. You can take it somewhere else, too. Your road yeah. ride can go wherever, wherever kind of you want it to go. And you're not worried about yeah. it. Cracked pavement, who cares? Cornfield, okay. You know, like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I ran across something the other day that I need to go explore. So sweet. Yeah. Listener questions addressed. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, Yeah. Everybody keep them coming. All righty. What do you say? Paceline picks. (laughs) And I have another listener question. (laughs) What? I'm just going to keep it. I know it's the theme of the day. No, I mean, it is another question. Somebody wanted us to talk about lights. Um, Okay. Yeah. So, uh, it made me think how much I love my Lupine Pico lights, which if I was going to make a pick for lights, it would be for, well, I have, I have two picks in lights categories because I am by no means a great light aficionado. I don't have a whole giant spectrum of lights that I have on my stable. I haven't honestly tested that many either. I can just speak from my own illumination experience Mm -hmm. of which I have quite a bit because said fifth street cross race that I've been doing for the better part of a decade, if not more is mostly in the dark. So I've used all kinds of lights. I used to do 24 hour racing, um, back in the day when the light had a bottle cage right, size. Right. Remember those? Oh, <laughs> the yeah. battery that was in the shape of the bottle cage. So you had yep. to suck up a bottle cage with this brick of a battery that maybe lasted an hour, maybe lasted an hour and a half before it flickered to nothing in the middle of West Virginia. It's fine. It's fine. It wasn't a problem. <laughs> um, lights have come a very, very long way. And uh, I, what I personally like for night, uh, if I'm going to be doing something like a Fifth Street Cross, a, a mountain bike ride at night, something where illumination is super important I also need maybe my water bottle is accessible. I don't want something that's super, super heavy. I find that the Lupine Pico is a really great option because it's very light. It it's it's made to strap like the light straps on the front of the helmet, the battery straps on the back of the helmet, you know, so uh-huh. it's all very contained. And um, it's almost like having a stadium light on your head. It's it's on the highest thing. It's very bright and it's uh it, it's a nice. The, the diffusion of the light is good. It's all it's all very good. It's got a couple of different settings. So you, you can take it down if the if it's a full moon or you don't need like all that light. Um, right. You know, the battery probably lasts. It says it's the the manufacturer says two and a half hours. I don't know that at full illumination, I've gotten two and a half hours out of it. I've also been doing I've also raced when it's very cold, you know, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I know temperature can often affect that kind of stuff. I don't know if that's the yep. case with these. Okay, if these batteries are not. So that's definitely, a, I think, been a factor in my situation. Um, but it is, it's it stays put. It's got like an 1800 lumen setting when when you want the most power. And it's just a real simple thing. It's They're not cheap. I believe they're 350, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh-huh. But if you're using lights a lot and you are like, that's... If you're if you're into night riding and racing and training, it's you know, this is part of your investment because it's there's a safety yeah. element to that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And just for daytime running lights, I'm a giant fan of the Bontrager flares. I just really like them. You can see them like 
I think they say a mile and a quarter away, and I believe it just based uh-huh. on my experience riding with people and seeing how far I can see them. Um, and they just charge up. They're simple. One in, a white one in the front, a red one in the rear, and they last. I, I've gotten good battery life out of them. They say 21 hours on their flashing setting. It's probably pretty close to true. Um, yeah, I mean, I and those are a little. They're not as expensive, obviously, as a it's a true light that you're trying to use for night riding. They're about a hundred or 115 bucks for a set. So that would be my picks. Very cool. I'm not familiar with Lupine. Uh, most of my, most of my lighting experience in the last say five years has been with design products. And I really like the work they're doing. Their stuff keeps getting better. Uh, I don't know that the prices have really come down much, but you I don't continue know their lights more. very well. Oh my gosh. They're doing a really good job. You know, I think what is going on is you continue to get better performance at a given price point. Yeah. The the stuff keeps getting brighter. It continues to last longer and longer. And, you know, the only thing that I would say is there are times when I think maybe uh, some of the mounts uh, offering another mount might be nice, you know, alternatives. Um, but I've got one of their little bitty lights that I, I put on my helmet uh, mm-hmm. for those occasions when I do that. I, I was using it at Dirty Kanza, and it was dark a long time for me. <laughs> <laughs> and none of my lights ran out. I wasn't running anything at the brightest setting. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the really interesting aspects of using lights is this inverse relationship between the amount of ambient light there is and the amount of lighting you need to light up your path sufficiently so that you can see the way. Mm-hmm. What I learned in doing a, a shootout of different lights many years ago, like 21 years ago, we learned that at dusk, to have enough lighting to improve your, uh, the visibility of your path ahead of you, you mm-hmm. need a lot more light than you do if it's dead dark. That actually makes sense to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said that out of the gate, but as you were talking, I was surprised. I was thinking, I bet you need more light just because of, because you need more light illuminate like the contrast of light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause your, your, your pupils are not all that dilated. They're right. still sort of accustomed to, to daylight. And while they are beginning to dilate some, they haven't fully dilated like they would at night. And so you, you know, you do need more lighting at dusk. Hmm. The other yeah. thing to keep in mind, as I've noted previously, is that the faster you go, the more lighting you need. So you need more light on a road ride than you do on a mountain bike ride. Right. Provided that you're makes not sense. ripping that... at 30 miles an hour downhill. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense too. Um and I, well, back in the, when I was doing those 24 hour races, I would have a bar mounted and a helmet mounted yeah. light to have. So I could sort of angle them appropriately, you know, because that's, mm-hmm. I find mm-hmm. that's the trick. I only have, when I do this street cross, I just have one on my helmet because I'm not, I'm not worried, right? I'm not going that fast. I know the course. Um yeah. So I just kind of angle it just enough so I can, so it, but it's always, it's always a little tricky to find that sweet spot 
you know, of where it's close <laughs> enough to my front tire, but so far out enough that I can see everything that I need to see in process in good time. Yeah. Um, and when you have two lights, you can eliminate that problem a little bit. But the obviously the the one on your bar is going to go where your bar is. Like, it's nice to have a light on your head because it, you're it's where you're looking, you know, as opposed yep. to on, on your bars. But um, having both does seem to be if you if you're doing something at to your point at speed, having both seems to be a good idea. It's funny how quickly you'll hit the brakes if you enter a turn and the light is shining off the trail or off, you know, yeah. not shining toward your path. If the right. turn is sufficiently tight. <laughs> the light is shining somewhere other than where you're headed. And it's like, mm, I'm, I'm going to slow down now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. All righty. Uh, Lupine. Well, I'm going to have to look them up some. Yeah. I, don't know, a lot. I really don't know anything about them. Yeah. So I recently learned about this very cool operation called kingdom cycling and experiences. It's a network of mountain bike guides and instructors. Most of them based in New England. They're heavy in Vermont, Massachusetts, and also have some based in Connecticut and New Hampshire. There's, they are branching out beyond New England, and they already have one person in Telluride, Colorado. And I could see them actually having people in Mendocino County. That would be perfect for them. Not there yet. So the general idea is that with a big network of trails like Vermont's Kingdom Trails, you kind of need someone to help you find your way. Or there's the chance that the sun's going to go down on you while you're still out there. And the philosophy of Momentum Masters, which is the training program for Kingdom Cycling Experiences, is why not have someone along who can not only show you the trails, but maybe give you some pointers on technique that might make some of the riding go more smoothly or more fun. That is a great idea. Are they are they affiliated before you go on? Are they affiliated with Kingdom Trails? Are they out? Of, I, I mean, since you said it's Vermont, that makes me think immediately that they must there's be. There's some sort of affiliation. I don't know exactly what the relationship is. Uh, the the investigation I've done, I've done a, one call uh, with the folks and it's a really neat operation. Most of our conversation had to do with the training that they put these people through to make uh-huh. sure that they they really know the stuff and they have the right sort of philosophy about what it means to be a guide and what it means to be an instructor. Right. And it reminded me, it's so thorough. Years ago when I did my PSIA certification for Nordic skiing as an instructor uh-huh. there, it reminded me a lot of that. Very systematic, uh, just really clear communication, a very clear set of goals about what you are trying to in part in terms of someone's writing experience. It's just, it's high time. It really, really is high time. There are so many places around the country I know of where you show up and you've got a paper map or maybe you've got, you know, something Trail on your GPS. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, okay. My first time I went to Jackson state forest, uh, the demo forest up in Mendocino County. We uh-huh. spent as much time looking at a map as we did pedaling around with a guide. We'd have been guaranteed to find right. all the great trials right, and right. get more riding in. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I agree with that. You think it's going to, you yeah. always think it's going to be more simple than it is always. At least I do. <laughs> Whenever I go somewhere, I'm like, Oh, and it's never as even kingdom trails, which is blazed mapped, blah, blah, blah. Lost every time. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's, that's one of those places where I can't wait to go there. But if I go there, I'm not going alone. <laughs> yeah. It's more, fun. it's wait. definitely more fun to go with, with someone who, who knows them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll have a link to them. You can learn more at kingdomexperiences.com. You know, link in our show yeah. notes. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, that's a wrap for another episode of the pace line. Uh, you said you've got, what is it? Keystone cross this weekend. It is Keystone gravel. Keystone gravel. So that is not, yeah, that's not a, it is not a cross race. It is, it, it, it evolves. So, I mean, I'm not sure what it'll be this year, but it, it's a kind of like a grind duro sort of idea, um, Ooh. where it's a big loop on cross bikes. Some people have done it on their mountain bike. The promoter really wants people to do it on cross bikes, but you know, cause it is a, it has gravel in the name, but it, it goes into some, or traditionally has gone into some pretty gnarly terrain, you know, hence people coming in with hardtail uh, mountain bikes, but it's mm-hmm. uh, 80 miles, probably almost 8,000 feet of climbing, 7,000. It's, it's a lot of climbing. And then there's usually six timed segments, both uphill, downhill, and, um, you know, just rolling, you know, mixed, mixed media kind of thing. So, and then it's just, it, yeah, mixed media, literally, it could be anything. But the nice part, the thing that is so fun about those kind of races, because it also has really, really fun rest stops. You know, it's mm-hmm. got a waffle station and sometimes there's like a place with fireball shots and God knows what antics, you know, and like bacon and who knows. But it, <laughs> it, it enables you to like just chill and enjoy your day because it, then you just, you know, to go to the rest stop eat your food, socialize, get rolling. And when you see the flags that say next segment, then you go really hard if you want to go really hard. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it's like social racing. So it's a, yeah, it's fun. And his wife uh, makes the most amazing, you get back and she's got everything pickled under the sun on this picnic table for when you f- finish. So there's beer and there's also pickled eggs, pickled mm-hmm. beans, pickled Pickles, pickles, like everything is amazing. And then the, and then food and then dinner. So it's the whole thing. People camp, there's bands. It's out in uh, Jersey Shore, Pennsylvania, which is uh, ironically named, but yeah, very fun <laughs> time. Very fun time. It's a uh, guy's name is Donnie Brion and he owns a farm out there and it's got a nice barn where the bands play. And it's just a really lovely, lovely bike community time. So, wow. Yeah. Sounds like I'm going to be missing out. It is really, it's, it's, it's a very special event for sure. I mean, the first time he had it, he just, it was sort of a friend kind of thing. He had a bunch of, you know, lots and lots of people he knew and we Uh sort of tried it out for him and it's, uh, it has since grown. It's still relatively small because it is on his property, but he does Mm -hmm. have quite a bit of property. So he has been able to expand it to, you know, two or 300 probably. Uh, which, which makes it feel like it's definitely an event, you know, at this point, it's definitely, you know, not just a bunch of friends sitting around, but it still has that feeling of a community of Mm. very like-minded people hanging out. So yeah, so it'll be a good time. Very nice. All righty. You know, you wrote a really interesting article about weight and depression. Oh, I just put that up. Give that a little teaser. Yeah, you know, I, I I always struggle with these with anything related to weight. I always struggle with because I never want <clears throat> to be part of the problem, as I put it. You know, I don't want to send. Yeah. I don't want to. And I feel like this article springs into stark relief 
a big part of the problem when we talk about weight. You know, and the, the finding was so for a long time, people have known that overweight and when I say people, I mean, researchers like overweight, especially obesity, you know, being very overweight has been linked to depression. And there was a thought process that it was um, probably an inflammatory thing. You know, visceral fat causes an inflammatory response in the body, which inflam- uh-huh. inflammation causes all kinds of problems. And that the thought was like, OK, that could be the link there between uh, the, the excessive weight and depression. So these researchers looked at um, the, a huge amount of data from the UK Biobank, which is genetic data. You know, it's like almost half a million people. It's like so many people. And this, this, these genetic databases are used now for amazing amounts of research. But they looked very closely at uh, they had they had information on body composition. So it wasn't just BMI. Most of these things have been done on BMI, which tells you nothing. As we know, like athletes can have very high, it tells you nothing. So it looked at body composition. So you also knew if it was around the waist, if it was hips, which is supposed to be a little less detrimental to your health, blah, blah, blah. Um, And when it all washed out, carrying an extra 20 pounds increased your risk of depression almost 20%. And it just was it was a linear relationship from there. The more weight you carry, the more body fat, I should say, wherever you carried extra of a healthy amount, the higher your risk for depression. But the finding also was like it's not biological, it's body image, like because all that washes out. And what's left is, I think, in many ways, common sense, like people who um, are carrying extra weight feel bad, you know, and it it they it it makes your life more difficult in a lot of ways, even though this is such a common thing. Like, even though I've always said, if making, if shaming people and making, making them feel bad was a way to help people lose weight, there would be nobody who wanted to lose weight anymore. Everybody would have already lost weight already. Like it's not, it's not really yeah. what it's, you know? So yeah. um, there's also been very, very good research. So I wanted to end, like, I almost didn't write about this because I'm like, this is just depressing, you know, no pun intended. Cause I wanted to, I, some positive note to come out of it. And there's, there has been very good research that uh, not only, of course, do we know that exercise is good for mental and physical health. It also, in a few studies, improves body image, even if you don't lose weight, because it show it enables you to see what your body is capable of at any size. And it, it's an empowering thing that makes people feel good about the skin they're in, even if the skin they're in is heavier than they would like it to be. Or maybe their doctor tells them it should be. Right. So. Um, that's kind of the take home message there is I think that, you know, it, 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 the, 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 it, there's many things, there are many health risks that may come along with carrying excess weight, you know, whether it's cardiovascular or whatever. But I feel like this one we can sort of take control of with an with a uh, attitude, societal and ourselves change. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Remarkable. And it, yes, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, I, I know for me when I'm not just comfortable in my skin, but, you know, comfortable in my clothes. Yeah. You know, yes. I, I yeah. just I feel better if I don't feel constricted and my range of motion isn't constricted. That makes sense, too. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So. Mm. Very cool. Well, All right. well, I'm, I'm glad you undertook that because it is, I think, truly something kind of encouraging. 
Thank you. Thank you. That was my goal. And it's that's sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard, but that's why I do what I do. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. You know, and I'm just given that you are so intimately familiar with all the issues that surround this, you really are kind of the perfect person to do this because you know where the minefield is. Yeah. Yeah. And and I have and that's one of the nice things. I mean, I've been at this as everybody knows a very long time. But I have a really good memory, I think, which is one of my strong suits. So I have a really good database in my head of like all the studies that have been done on all of these things. So when I read new research, I have stacks in my mind of like, I've heard this before and I've heard something related to this before and this might be related to this. And then I can just like pull it all together and and, and contextualize it. And yeah. I, in in... In this environment, and I don't want to, I don't want to go down too far this rabbit hole, but like there's clicks, as we all know, are very important for the publishing world right now, because if people aren't reading your stuff, nobody is going to pay you. You know, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Content (laughs) is not free, but there's also a lot of pressure to produce very fast content because internet and because that's just where we're at. But Mm -hmm. I feel super, super strongly that I don't want to, I, I, I could just take a study like that that comes to me via an RSS feed and it's already gotten quotes worked into it. And I, I could basically just plop it out there. Hey, overweight, you're more likely to be depressed. Blah, blah, blah. But like I, I, in any kind of conscious, I can't do that. So <laughs> the, the advantage of having this database of where I am now is that it doesn't take me an inordinate amount of time to actually put this stuff in context and actually make that click worth your while. And I'm not just blowing my own horn, but it's very important to me. Like it's something yeah. that is very important to me. Well, the, yeah, you, the way you care about this really comes through, you know, not just how you talk about it, but certainly in your writing. I've seen that over and over. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. it because it's it's at this point important to me. It's my like my life, literally my life's work. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons I really enjoy working with you. So there's that. Yeah. All right. Well, here we go. Hey, everybody. (laughs) As the show shows, keep those questions coming. You all keep sending us great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Don't forget our Paceline kits from Primal. They're up in the RKP store. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. This week's show features veteran frame builder David Wages of Ellis Cycles, five-time award winner at the North American Handmade Bicycle Show. We hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager, Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.